the Canadian Military History Podcast. Provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Before I get into my guest today, I'm going to cover off a few of the messages that have come in through Facebook and through the guest book. When I said that there's not enough that could be said about Captain Terrell, that seemed to be an understatement. She sent me a message after listening to the podcast last episode. She said, thanks Mike for inviting me to share part of my military history with the Canadian Forces in the past 20 years. I'll be sure to share with 2-5 Field Ambulance, especially seeing as I have made references to various former and current serving members in some of my stories. People have commented on Shannon's post. We have a message from Marina Kozina. She says it's so cool. And we have a message from Helga gonzalez Layton. Shannon, I just listened to your podcast. It was absolutely wonderful to hear you retell the universal stories we all shared during those unforgettable Army days. We have a message from Billy Louie. Thank you so much. We have a message from Sean Fraser, who is worried about embarrassing stories. Uh, We have a message from Connie Martin. She says, great stories, Shannon, and great memories. And there's also a message from my wife, who said she was moved to tears listening to the stories, and that was very touching. Moving on to the guest book. I have three messages on the guest book, once again from Shannon Terrell. Thanks for the great opportunity, Mike. Had fun despite keeping many of your past, or that would be mine, army secrets. Ha ha ha. She doesn't know half of my secrets, but anyhow, that's all right. And I will really encourage others to come forward and share their histories as well. I've enjoyed listening to all the episodes. I'm particularly enjoying these episodes at this time because I'm not involved with the army this past year. She's uh, going on to her post-grad work. So this helps me get my army fix. Keep up the great work. Such a value-add project for the CF. I have a message from Colonel Jay Claggett, who contributed a, a donation to the website through our PayPal link. Outstanding idea, and have enjoyed every podcast so far. I look forward to hearing more and diving back into history with you to capture those who have served this country over the years. Good job. Keep up the traditions. There's also a message from Inspector Gary Miner from York Regional Police. He says, Mike, Way to go. I'm a big fan and supporter of our Canadian Forces. It's an honor to read your blog and sign your guest book. Thanks for sharing. Sincerely, Gary Miner. I was also contacted by email by Lieutenant Navy retired Melanie Graham. Melanie is an author and she's also got her own website. It's www.afghanistanacanadianstory.ca and what she's doing is she's publishing stories of soldiers from the Afghan conflict. And when I say soldiers, it's not just people from the Army. She does include people from the Navy and people from the Air Force who have served in Afghanistan. So I'm going to invite you to have a look at her website. I'll publish a link in the show notes. And uh, hopefully when her book is published, we can all have a good read. It looks like a great project, and I'm very happy to be collaborating with her. So as I just mentioned, uh, Colonel Claggett clicked on the PayPal link and he contributed a donation to keep this podcast running. And 
It wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't mention that there is a cost to keeping this website and podcast running, and any donation, large or small, is greatly appreciated and goes directly into the production of the podcast. So you can click on the PayPal link. There's a donate button right on the web page, and that takes you straight to PayPal. And once again, if PayPal's not for you, if you would rather contribute indirectly, there is a way that you can help out. On the show notes and on the webpage itself, www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca, there's an Amazon link. And what you do, you click on the Amazon link before you shop on Amazon. So you come through my website, go into Amazon, shop as much as you want, buy whatever you like from Amazon, and a small portion of your purchase goes to supporting the podcast. But your price from Amazon doesn't change. So exactly what you see on your price, uh, whatever you're choosing to pay for, that's what you pay. Today's guest is W02 Stan Edgerton. Stan Edgerton served mostly with the Toronto Scottish. However, he did serve with the Queen's York Rangers as a boy bugler before starting his formal military service. He served as a World War II vet. He served in the post-war years as well as a member of the Toronto Scottish. He attained the rank of W02 at the time, which would follow with the appointment of Company Sergeant Major. He's also a firefighter with the Toronto Fire Department, and he served his career as a firefighter as well. Now, what would you expect a World War II vet who's retired from the fire department after serving his full career as a firefighter, what would you expect someone like that to do as a hobby? Well, in 1993, at the age of 55, or between age of 55 and 59, He was awarded a record in his hobby of choice. And again, in 1998, between the ages of 60 and 64, and at the age uh, between 65 and 69 in 1991, once again, between the ages of 75 and 80. This was an indoor sport. I'm not telling you what it is yet. So then as an outdoor hobbyist, between the ages of 65 and 69, he also won in his chosen hobby in 1991 and in 1994, between the ages of 70 and 74. And in 2001, between the ages of 75 and 80, he also won the record. So what was Stan Edgerton's chosen hobby that he would win all these awards? If you can believe it, at the age of 80 plus, his chosen hobby was pole vaulting. Anyhow... Stan Edgerton has always been committed to fitness, he's always been committed to athleticism, and he's always been committed to the Toronto Scottish Regiment. Here's my interview with W02 Stan Edgerton. Sergeant Major Edgerton, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Stan, we met when I was a junior member of the Warrant Officers and Sergeants Mess of the Toronto Scottish Regiment, and you were a member of the Regimental Association of the Toronto Scottish. Yes, that's correct. And some of my fondest memories of uh, the Regimental Association was um, we used to have meetings all the time, and and members of the the regiment uh, would come up and bring us up to date what was going on in the regiment. And uh, later on, uh, I was elected president of the Regimental Association. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, I really enjoyed my time in the regiment, and as you know, as as years go on, um, the membership seemed to be dropping off with people passing away. But uh, one of my fondest memories was when uh, we left Fort York and we moved to the new armories in, in Mimico. They opened the armories, and, um, and talking to you, you asked me if it, what I thought about the junior ranks mess becoming the uh, Edgerton mess because of the effort of my Edgerton family and myself, what we did over the years. And I thought that was an excellent idea, and it was a great uh, 
a memory to my family to have the junior ranks mess called the Edric mess. And I will always be thank you for that. I think that was a fitting tribute to not only your family's dedication to service to Canada and the Toronto Scottish, but also the sacrifice of your family. Yes. Stan, let's get into the four questions. Let's start it off with why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? Well, why I joined the Armed Forces? My father was a, a veteran of World War One, and when we were younger, he would train my two brothers in the backyard on Foxy Street in Toronto. And he would train them on the military drills and so on. And I would be standing back in the background and watching them, and I would just idolize my father and my brother. And my father died in 1937, and my two brothers joined the Toronto Scottish Reserve in 1938. When war was declared in 1939, my two older brothers enlisted with the Toronto Scottish Regiment. I will never forget the day in December of that year. The regiment left the exhibition ground and then paraded onto the troop train led by the pipes and drums of the regiment. Wow. And they were off to Halifax. I made up my mind that day that one day I would join them. So virtually, to mention the regiment at that time, the Reserve Army, virtually every member of the, the regiment at that time joined up on the active service. In 1940, I joined the Queen's York Rangers Reserve Force as a boy bugler. I attended Niagara-on-the-Lake Camp 1940 and 41, and I paraded at Fort York Armory's Tuesdays and Thursday nights. In November of 1941, at the age of 16, I got up enough nerve to go down to the horse palace, and I told the recruiting officer that I had been two years in the Reserve Force and that I would like to go on active service, but would it have to be a Toronto Scottish Regiment? What a surprise to me when I was accepted. I received all my inoculations and equipment, and I was assigned a stall in the horse palace. <laughs> that would be my living quarters for the next two weeks. Then I was shipped up to North Bay for six weeks basic training. On the completion of this, I left for Three Rivers, Quebec, and I did seven weeks training on the Vickers machine gun. On the completion of that training, March 1942, I was put on draft, and I left for the troop ship in Halifax. I board an old ship that used to take cattle to India wow. before the war, and the crossing was a 10-day crossing. On about the ninth day, land was sighted. It was Greenwich, Scotland. And we got off the boat and right off the boat onto a troop train that would take us to the south of England. And just outside of Aldershot, England, uh, there was a place called Crookham's Crossroads, and that was the number one Canadian machine gun reinforcement unit. We got there and we got showered, did our laundry, and got ourselves back in order. And in a couple of days, we started training again, and we just had to wait until we were called up to our regiment. In uh, September... 1942, I finally got called up to the regiment, and I was reunited with my brothers, and that was quite a, a thing. I was really proud that I had reached my goal. I always wanted to join my brothers in the regiment. I was assigned C Company, 10 platoon, and I was as happy as a lark. Stan, what was the world like when you joined? What was the world like when I joined? That's right. Well, I was a 14-year-old boy going to school when war was declared. And I can always remember I was at the bottom of Ossington and Queen. I was selling the Globe and Mail paper, and uh, 
the headlines were war declared. Well, I tell you, everything just seemed to be wall-to-wall army after that. I mean, down the Fort York armies, for one thing, you had the Royal Regiment, you had the Engineers, you had the Toronto Scottish, and you had the Irish Regiment, and they were all flocking there, and some of them had to set up tables outside the armies to uh, interview people to go active. It was quite a thing, but reading in the papers at the time, day after day, the headlines were always defeat here and defeat there, and it was very depressing. He often thought that we ever going to win this war. Hmm. And then oh, on the radio one day, Winston Churchill come on and he broadcasted the people and he mentioned his famous speech, this is our darkest hour. And that seemed to be a rallying point for everybody to get together to work on the victory. What were you like when you joined? What was I like? Yes. You've already mentioned you were a boy bugler, you were a newspaper boy, you were admiring your father's service and your brother's service. And what was I like then? Well, when I went to Niagara and the Lake camp, it wasn't for a week. I went there and I was issued that pet helmet and the shorts and putties, and I had to stand outside the RSM tent every second day, and he'd say, like, a rebelli, cookhouse, quarter-hour dress, half-hour dress, and I had to play all these tunes. And I, I thought, Jesus, this is great, you know, and I, I never ate so well in all my life. <laughs> and so I was quite happy. Now, I did say in the introduction, why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? But the Canadian Armed Forces didn't exist back then. Did you join the Canadian Army? Yes, the Canadian Army, yes. That's right, because they were separate services at that time. Yeah, I guess so, yes. So what's your most memorable experience in either the Canadian Army or the Canadian Armed Forces? Because I know you served much later after the war as well. Uh, Well, I, I would say the Canadian Army. Right, okay, so would I. What's your most memorable experience? I had several fondest memories over my four years of service with the Army. The first one being that I was accepted in the Army at the age of 16. And my second most memorable thing was September 1942, was when I moved up to the regiment and I was assigned C Company 10th Platoon with my brothers. And then I thought my dream is completed. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get follow them and, and get reunited with them. And uh, my next uh, memorial uh, uh, moment was uh, when the Queen come down to a place called Pitts Hill, England, near Petworth, and we had a um, a royal inspection of Her Majesty. And after it was in the process, she walked through all the ranks that day, not driving through the ranks in a jeep. She walked from person to person, and that really impressed me then. Now, Stan, that would be Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, at the time. Yes, at the time, yeah. And her husband, I believe, was King George. And my next experience that I really treasured was in um, 1943 in Horsham, England. It was the second Canadian Division Track and Field Championship being held at Horsham, England, and it was in August. That day, I was the winner of the 120-yard dash and I was a member of the 4 by 100 relay team. And General McNaughton's wife, Lady McNaughton, presented me with my medals that day. And I tell you, I can't tell you how proud I was that day when members of the reg- my own regiment were in the crowd watching. Incredible. So do you know that I interviewed General Leslie, who's the grandson of General McNaughton, on one of my previous episodes? Oh, oh that's something. So it's a great connection. Yes, yes, but I don't think he'd know me. <laughs> no, he wouldn't know you, Stan. 
are there any other memorable experiences you'd like to share? Uh, the, the one that, that most I most cherish was coming home alive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So who is your greatest influence, or who is the most memorable character you've encountered during your period of service? Well, I, well number one was my brother George. He was very, very clever, eh? and he he was even uh, elected to go back to Canada for officer training. Wow! And when I look back of all the things that he did, he was trying to get rid of me while he was going back to Canada, thinking that we go into action before he got back. And I don't know if it was Kingston or uh, Brock, though, that he went to for the officer training. So about halfway through the course. He was worried that he was going to miss something, and he wouldn't. There was no guarantee he'd be going back to the Toronto Scotties. So he went up to the company in, in, in the higher ups, and he said he wanted to go back to his regiment, and he reverted to the rank of his as sergeant, and they shipped him back overseas again. And he got back to regiment in time for to go to Normandy. Right. Any other memorable characters that you encountered? Um, well, one other was the, the RSM, the time that we were training for the Royal Guard uh, uh, for the Queen to come to Pitts Hill, and it was an RSM Robinson. And I tell you, boy, he chewed everybody, officers or privates or corporals or sergeants. He was really, he was something that you just thought he was God. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe he was. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, Stan, what was the greatest challenge you ever had to overcome during your service? One of the greatest challenges was, uh, I just finished telling you, my brother was always signing me up to do things to get me away from the regiment. And one of them was, uh, he signed me up for this battle drill school in, in Folkestone, England. And it was a British school, and it was four weeks, and it was all like battle drill tactics and that, and PT, and everything was done by platoons. And there was only seven Canadians on the course. And I tell you, that was the hardest thing that I ever did all the time I was in the Army. And then uh, uh, it was in May, early May 1943, was, uh, I was signed up for a 4.2 mortar course. And it was in Borden, England. And it was a three-week course in a British school. At the time, our regiment was uh, allocated to be a support battalion. We would retain the 36 Vickers machine guns, but we'd also have a new heavy mortar weapon. We had 16 of them. And I went on this course. If I completed the course, I would be a corporal. And I was assigned to the new company, A Company, and I had my own mortar crew, which I had to teach all about the mortar, what end of the bomb you put down the spout. Right. That was my next thing. And uh, that was about all the uh, most memorial things and the greatest challenge, I mean. Right. And from then, um, uh, it would be late September 1943, we moved from Petworth to Hove down near Brighton. And we were stationed in houses which were empty. And uh, we spent most of the winter there. And then come the spring, April or May, we moved closer to the coast to a place called Wallashire Park. And we were in tents there. And we were uh, getting all our stuff ready to go to Normandy, and all our brass was painted khaki. And then all of a sudden, we found out some big wig was coming to inspect the regiment. We had to scrape the paint off and shine up the brass again. And then Montgomery came by to see us, and we had to do the same thing there. And he went by us in a Jeep about 30 miles an hour. So that, <laughs> that was that. And then um, uh, finally, on D-Day was June the 6th, and we were in Wallace Park at the time, and we could, at night, 
we could see way in the distance flashes that I guess were uh, enormity. And then finally on July the 6th, we left for London. It was a place called Tilbury Docks. And once we got in the, a certain area there, it was all barbed wire off and we could, nobody could get out. And then we boarded a ship called the Assiniboine. And we, we loaded all our carriers and everything on there. And then we pulled uh, down the Thames and we headed for Normandy. And we pulled anchored off the coast of Normandy. And uh, the landing craft come alongside and we had this uh, uh, rope ladder down the side of the ship. And first of all, our carriers were loaded into the landing craft, two to a landing craft. And then the crew, we would climb down the, the rope ladder and, and time our jumping into the landing craft. And then we headed for shore, and our, our carriers were all waterproof because if we could go in about five feet of water and the, the motors wouldn't conk out. Hmm. So as soon as we landed down, we hardly even got our bogey wheels wet. It was just a perfect dry landing, and we pulled in off the beach, and they had to take all this waterproofing. It was like a putty substance, and take it off the motor and, and put it to one side. And then we moved farther inland to a place called Rotier, and we dug in there for the night. And the next night, we moved up to a, a position, and we relieved a British unit, which was a 4.2 mortar unit. And naturally, we didn't have to dig in at all. We just took over their positions. And that same night, we had our very first shoot. And uh, then here we are. We're in Normandy. And uh, we were seen to be firing day and night. And at nighttime, we used to call them harassment shoots. We'd get up and fire maybe 10 or 15 bombs apiece. And, and then we uh, shut down. And then we come up again and fire again. So in the next field over was C Company my brother's uh, platoon, 12 platoon, and we could hear them chattering away at night, eh, firing just like we were. And then um, the next morning, this was around August the 1st, the next morning I was sleeping, and this staff sergeant, his name was Miko, he come by and he says, uh, wake up, kid, he says, uh, your brother was killed last night, we're going to bury him. Now, he, he, he could have said, like, I got bad news for you. Right. He was so abrupt, eh? So I grabbed my rifle and, and my, my skeleton web equipment, and I followed him, and I went down to this farmhouse. And here in the, in the yard, my brother and Corporal Shear were laid out on stretchers. And I looked at him, and on either one of them, there wasn't seen to be a mark. It was just a blast that killed him, eh, right. from a mortar. And we loaded him on the truck. And we went down the road farther to an apple orchard, and uh, that's where we buried them. And it was very short service. And uh, I counted the other regiments there at the time were killed too, eh? And I counted 18 graves. So uh, I took off back. They took me back to the farmhouse where I spent the day. And that night I went back up to my, my platoon in a quarry. And I, was, I, I sat on top of a load of 4.2 mortar bombs and a 60 hundredweight. And I thought, geez, if this thing ever gets hit, I'll be the first Canadian in space. <laughs> when you have the opportunity to speak to a veteran like Stan, you don't allow upload limits or any other internet restriction to restrict how you do your podcast. So we're going to split this one up into two parts. And in a few minutes, you'll be able to hear the remainder of the story of Stan Edgerton. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. 
If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.